Perfectionist Podcasts. It's difficult to articulate how the filter of teenagerhood affects the experience of our moment of time. Indeed, it's kind of difficult to articulate the experience of teenagerhood itself. But personally, I think it's best characterized by a desire for perspective. Welcome to Prescriptivist English, where we try to provide insight on how best to live one's life. Today, in our one-episode special, we'll take a look at the novel Behold the Dreamers and some of the things it has taught me. My parents, like the Jangas, came from a country where a lack of perspective, a lack of studiousness, meant a life of hard labor as a farmer or factory worker. But mobility was possible even for the very poorest. You just had to work for it. Oh yeah, it's very important to have education. And then it's very hard to get into university. It's only uh, about one one of uh, one out of hundred high school students can get into university. So, but after university, it's easy to get a job. You will, you will be assigned a job. Because by that time, if I go to university, and there is, uh, it's almost free. It's free education. And after you graduate, the government will assign you a job. And when you have a job, you're, you're going to have everything. The company is owned by the uh, government, right? So uh, they are going to, uh, you know, assign you uh, a house and uh, all the uh, like medical benefits, everything. You are going to have everything. As we learned from Winston and Nanny and Leomi, education means stability and prosperity. My parents met in university in Wuhan, China, a city more populous than Greece and as wealthy as New Zealand, but best known in the West for being the original epicenter of COVID-19. But while the disease has split America's ugly core open to reveal the nation's inequalities, the higher education in the city then was quite egalitarian. After graduating, my parents were given high-paying managerial positions with very good professional mobility. In other words, they were living the American dream. By that time, I was very educated. I have a very high, uh, like, have, uh, you know, my job is pay well and uh, kind of wealthy. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I'm very under, uh, young, <laughs> very young, around 30. Uh, so both myself and my husband, like, we are very well educated under, uh, with very good salary, and we have, we save a lot of money. Uh, so I, and, uh, we don't have children by that time. And yet, they decided to immigrate in the hopes of a better future. You know, when I came to Canada, I have to start from the beginning because they don't accept, uh, you know, the education from outside of Canada. So I have to, uh, uh, I have to uh, go, go back to school. 
So I have to go back to school and then uh, to uh, restart from uh, from beginning, start a new career. So it's very difficult for us to, you know, spend lots of time to uh, under job, find a high, you know, under get higher, uh, you know, education and earn more. And also you have to bring up your children, right? So you have to sacrifice something. Like for, for myself, I have to leave my job. I have to become a self-employed person. This kind of story is far from unusual. Immigrants giving up professional success and potential only to become perpetual second-class citizens. You can feel it sometimes, especially when you're in the school and uh, looking for a job right, as a vis visible minority. Uh, I remember there's an instant that uh, I park on the street and there's a lady in the house and screaming was screaming at me saying, Go back to your country. <laughs> but why? What is it all for? Certainly not for the American dream, which from its conception has existed only in the collective imagining of America. In America today, social mobility is all but non-existent. Even in China, youth are becoming increasingly disillusioned, unmotivated, and apathetic. The dream is coming apart at the seams. It is quickly apparent just how dependent upon existing class hierarchies and privileges our dreamers are. Winston graduates from prep school to become a lawyer, arranges for the Zhangu's immigration and employment. Limbe is an Anglophone town and a Francophone country. The Edwardses were born wealthy. Privilege, then, is a vital prerequisite of opportunity. In this respect, Cindy Edwards is somewhat the Gatsby of the novel, the exception that proves the rule. My father's father was a health official, very nearly buried alive during the Cultural Revolution. His father studied medicine in Japan. My mother's father was also well employed. Although poor, like many, they owned the only television in the neighborhood. We like to vilify individuals, but the banality of evil lies not in people, but in systems. Think of the cronyism and corruption that forces Nanny's father out of his job. The immigration bureaucracy, not so much Kafkaesque as tedious. The amoral Wall Street culture that asserts the goodness of greed. Wealth begets wealth. Privilege begets privilege. Although their work ethics were extraordinary, I'm still a product of my parents' relative privilege. Whatever Thomas Jefferson may declare then, not all people are created equal. Not all people are free to pursue freedom. And ultimately, that is, I think, why people immigrate. Let me submit that the true American dream is not material at all. Rather, it is the opportunity and ability to form your own worldview and to pursue your own ideal of happiness. Unfortunately, people are historically epically bad at achieving happiness, and the ideal tends to be materialistic and consumerist. Much like that great American novel, the characters and dreamers attain wealth or status only at the expense of their happiness, because the happiness of materialism is illusory and transient. Mr. Edwards is constantly stressed. Mrs. Edwards is depressed. The Jongas are frustrated in their efforts at a better quality of life. At least for the Jongas, wealth is pursued out of necessity. For Clark, it is almost obligatory. 
only Vince is able to escape. And he is only able to because of his financial security. I never met my paternal grandfather. He died when my parents were in their 20s. That's when my father was introduced to Buddhism by a coworker, which he turned to to help cope with grief. I don't know if that's why he chose social work as his new profession in Canada, but it was certainly a formative experience. Siddhartha Gautama's crucial insight was that suffering is inherent to the human condition, and that the path to freedom lies in letting go of attachments and desires. From an evolutionary perspective, in the words of Yuval Noah Harari, a squirrel enjoying everlasting bliss from a rare mutation would have a very happy and short life. Squirrels who feel hungry minutes after eating survive and reproduce. That's why the nuts we humans seek seldom satisfy us for long. Beyond a baseline of material comfort, greater attachments bring only misery. I like to think about monastic life. Sometimes I cannot imagine a contemporary lifestyle that would be truly satisfying, that would truly make me happy. But inevitably, the realities of grades and career choices and money dictate my future. At the end of the day, what I want most is for the world to make sense, which is a difficult ask, of course. That's why Nanny turns to religion when life gives her no answers. That brings us to perspective. We like to make fun of ourselves for you know, our privileged problems and our screwed priorities, but it doesn't make us prioritize them any less. The Jangas and the Edwards are at their happiest when they're no longer pursuing the fleeting, narrow definition of success imposed by imperialistic American media. Clark gives up his breakneck career in Wall Street to focus on his relationship with his sons. Jende becomes convinced that they do not have to live in America to be happy. In this way, their perspectives shift to focus on what truly matters to them in the end, which is family. Cindy, however, is never able to make that shift away from maintaining her perfect marriage and social image. I think there is a tension between the worldview which my parents embraced in their 20s and the values ingrained in my parents from childhood. One must work hard and persevere through the veil of tears to achieve a comfortable life. But one should also walk the middle way and strive to free oneself from the attachments and suffering of the material world. My parents, uh, they just wanted me to have a very good job. And what do you prioritize right now? Because I'm a Buddhist, uh, I want to practice Buddhism and become a very good Buddhist. I become enlightened. Buddhist practice, like meditation, study. Of course, uh, you got to practice like uh, yeah, Buddhist practice. What do you want for your children? I hope that uh, you guys can be independent, enjoy your life. Happy. Uh, of course, be a, a useful person to society, uh, can help other people, or do nice thing, good thing to society. So I encourage my children to have a big dream, but that dream is not for themselves. It's for uh, to help people, to help people, to have have more people.
I believe this tension exists in society writ large. In Behold the Dreamers, Vince represents the disillusioned cynicism of the American dream as a means to achieve comfort in life. Although Vince's portrayal is ironically somewhat of a send-up of the new-agey, entitled millennial, I ultimately am sympathetic of his worldview. James Treslow Adams, who coined the term the American dream, wrote that there are two educations. One should teach us how to make a living, and the other how to live. It helps greatly to study for a trade or profession, but in so doing, we are not getting a liberal education as human beings. I do not think that school is everything, although, of course, I'm fantastically fortunate to be able to afford to think that. Nenny's indignation at her privileged classmates uh, is a crushing indictment of my own study habits. But does not achieving 98s in every course really spell a catastrophe? Is there perhaps space for my books and podcasts and music? I'm trying to reevaluate my perspective before the ocean of possibility contained within me drains away. Only time will tell which worldview is the correct one. But for now, I'm content to walk the middle lane. Thank you for listening to Prescriptivist English. I'd like to thank my parents for their time and for their sacrifice in raising me in this land where I'm free to dream. I'd also like to thank Mr. Donahue. Sometimes in school, I'm not quite sure why I'm learning something, but I can never doubt the value of English class in teaching us how to live and how to be empathetic. I aspire to live life like an English student, full of self-discovery and imagining things complexly. Thank you for listening. I'll see you in September.